If you could be a background actor in any TV show, which one would it be? Lizzie McGuire. Walking Dead. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I don't know if they take uh, that guy, <laughs> if they take any more actors on Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Uh, and I, I, why. Thought, I thought my answer wasn't that great, and then I heard yours, yeah. and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm good over here. I'm good over here. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I honestly have no explanation. I don't know why I thought of that, where that came from, but... Did I, like, trigger, was... like, childhood shows, and you were like, what was my favorite childhood show? No, I know, I know exactly what he asked, but... I don't know. That was uh, the Ed, Ed, and Eddie world was really bizarre. What, what would you be in the Ed, Ed, and Eddie world? Like one of the idiots in the background. Well, that's not a background. <laughs> would, would you get the uh, gumballs that they would have? A the background, ca- you said a background character, right? Yeah. Yeah. I could be Plank. Plank doesn't have a crazy That's job. a main character, Remember? bro. That's a main character. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what did you guys say? Walking Dead? Mine's Do the best, be so I'll let, I'll let Amber go. I'll no, let but, Amber go. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> mine is because, I mean, as long as I could be in the presence of the queen, that's all that would matter. What was yours? <laughs> Lizzie McGuire. Oh, Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. Would okay, you so like you would probably be one of the student? high school students. Yeah. I want to be like, you know, like Kate or like um, one of like the cheerleaders who are okay. like doing one of those, or like... Um, how like Lizzie would always have like you know a lesson in each episode and like maybe I could like teach her a lesson and then I could like feel some type of way forever just knowing. Amber, I think you would do better in like Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. <laughs> oh, I mean, me and that like guy could hit it off. Who? Oh, the... Ned. No. The... Oh, oh, Cookie. Yeah, no, no. Cookie, right? Oh, Cookie. <laughs> or are yeah. you talking about uh? The one, the one who's uh, a the coconut has a computer. Head. No, 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 not, yeah. not coconut. Yeah, head. so cookie. Yeah. yeah, me and him would just be sniffling me. Yo, Frost used to something. look like coconut head. I saw some pictures. <laughs> it was one picture. My dad, my dad used to, like, well, he did it one time. He cut our hair like that, me and my brother. I don't know why. I feel like every desi kid has one haircut that's like a bowl cut. Mm. I don't know why we do that in our culture, but we do it for some reason. That's yeah. even even my sister in law wanted to do my nephew now in twenty twenty one. Like it's not the time anymore. Alright, so Shamir, you wanna sit through like twenty hours of makeup to be a zombie? Honestly, I was thinking of that right after I said my answer, and that is the bad part. But it I it's probably so fun. Like all you do is just go ha uh, ha like just crawl around and like you can do whatever and it's probably the most most of the day is probably getting the makeup on. Yeah. And then they're like and then they cut you out or you're blurry <laughs> in the background no one ever even sees but you but the funny funniest thing is like i've worked at haunted houses and stuff like that and there's people that like will come there and mm-hmm. work there and they'll be like yeah i was on the walking dead and i was like so then what are you doing here like <laughs> how do they end up from walking dead to there but apparently it's like good on your resume as like a background actor like people always put that like well i was on the walking dead so i don't know that's yeah what I thought. Yeah, but like, um, there's people that just do those jobs a yeah, lot, yeah. and it's sure. not like you um, necessarily, you know, Move you were saying ranks. that oh, you've you've worked on The Walking Dead, so what are you doing here? But like, you know, yeah. I mean, your boy was on House of Cards. What am I doing on Strange Flavors? <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I think it's a step up. The main guy was a pedo or something. So, <laughs> who? Oh, uh, you're talking about a uh, Kevin? 
Kevin Spacey. Kevin yeah. Spacey. So you moved up, I think. Oh, from from that to this. From from that to this, yeah. There yeah, for go. sure. That's a win like in my that. book. I like yeah, but that. no, but it was like I've I've told this story before, but it was like you know you're waiting around all day and you barely get make it into the shot, so. Yeah. It's it's a lot. Maybe Mine, Ed and Eddie is probably the best. Ed and Eddie's the best move. You get the most time. <laughs> no, but you get no one drawn. forgets the background answer, actors. No one remembers. From what? Like from cartoons. Like I don't look in the background. Yeah, that's true. But unless they have a few <laughs> lines or something. Like the My Leg guy from SpongeBob. Oh, what a yeah. legend. That's He's a, an iconic background iconic. character. <laughs> See? That's like the the peak. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thank you for tuning into an episode of Strange Flavors. My name is Shimmer. Um, for us. My name is Amber. This is the strangest and greatest podcast in the game. This is also brought to you by Olive Theory. If you'd like to email us or send us your music, strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to listen to this podcast, everywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can see our beautiful faces on YouTube. So be sure to comment, like, subscribe. I've been putting been... mascara on for you guys for the last two weeks. I hope you know and recognize. Yeah, me, me too. Yeah. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> <laughs> but also, if you'd like to also follow us on... Also, if you'd like to also follow us. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on social media, at Strength Flavors. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now TikTok. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So be sure to follow us there. And we have a huge list of Strange Flavors Town. Oh, you guys know our monthly nice. supporters. They've been carrying this podcast. Oh. They're the reason why we can do everything, including you guys listening. So, and we, we'd like to shout them out. Um, we got Bobber's Bagels, Cassie's Cupcakes, Airhouse Ices, Bria's Falafels, and Uslam's Apples. Look wow. at the diversity in the strange flavors. That's amazing. Town. Yummy, yummy. So if you want all the goods. <laughs> If you want all the goods, come over to Strange Flavors Town. There's a link down below, and you can also help support this podcast. We also have an amazing YouTube channel that goes by the name of Ronald Pono. We have a Patreon with exclusive content. We also have an amazing Discord. So you can give your cool questions and even give us interviewees in the Ooh. Discord as well. Yes, you can. You so, can suggest And if you want to buy amazing merch as well, ronaldpono.com. Shamir sounds like he's trying out for the job of a, a co-host on Strange Flavors. <laughs> did I get it? Did I get it? No. You got it, man. Yes, the, yeah. y- the yummy yummy did it for me. <laughs> the yummy yummy was so good. You're hired. That has to be in every episode. Yeah. Yummy yummy. Yo, so you guys have been killing it on the uh, the comment section on um, on YouTube, but it's Us? really it's well the audience but it's it's really all because of our last guest who was who was as controversial as we predicted mm-hmm. it to be after we released the episode For sure. so basically we had david weiss who was a flat earther on the last episode and we actually had a discussion before we brought him on about like you know is this okay to do is this going to spread false information are we giving somebody a platform which are some of the concerns that were brought is up this later a cult? and <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Like, what are we doing by having somebody like this on? And we decided that the premise of our uh, podcast is that we invite strangers, no matter what their beliefs are, onto the show and hear them out. And our angle was more so not to figure out and debunk what he's saying. It was more so, let's figure out why he believes this stuff and what is, you know, the reason he's doing these things. 
And if you listen to the podcast, um, you know, you'll figure out that we weren't agreeing with him at any point. We were just kind of like taking it as it goes. And even he didn't come to some sort of big revelation or um, solution. We should also add in the fact that because we aren't scientists, it's also very hard to have that type of conversation when somebody's spitting out exact numbers and we can't, like, we have interns behind the scenes who are fact-checking, but you can't just do it down to the numbers like that and us not be, like, none of us are biology majors, okay? And that's not, again, that's not what Mm -hmm. our show is about. So even if we had prepared and studied that this is what this man does. So mm-hmm. we can't we can't combat him on something that he expertise. says. That's like as his a life fact. work. Exactly. We we used our knowledge of our upbringing and what we see around us to yeah. throw some things at him to try to explain, you know, his perspective. Um, and he did that right. But along the way, we were like, all right, let's let's you know try to draw the bigger picture here. And if you could tell, you know, by the end of it, we were basically like, you know, just letting him. Uh, go on and hearing him out and you know people did appreciate that we did that some people were like you know you should have said this and you should have mm-hmm. um you know stopped it here or whatever but yeah um i think that the way that our podcast runs we handled it appropriately of course there were sure. plenty of times where um i i know shamir was particularly over and over saying like man i'm thinking of like this this and this i could have said during yeah. the podcast so there was that, that frustration that was like right after the podcast uh, like i was just thinking the day after i was just so like you know like when you have an argument with somebody and you're like i should have said this i should have said like this. in the shower you've like flashbacks yes and you're like, mm. yes i was having that for like probably two days straight and i was like <laughs> dude i should have said this i should have yeah. said this but then i was looking back at some clips in the podcast and i was like i said some things i was like wait that doesn't make sense and then he was like no you're spitting nonsense and then he just like went on to whatever he was talking about. So he was really good at doing that. So yeah. I was like, all right, maybe I did try, but I guess he just spilled it over or whatever. So, but yeah, he he I did thought- have like a great way of um, marketing his idea. And yeah. and we knew by the end of it that he is a salesman, basically of, uh, of his idea and his app and his channel and all yeah. of that. And the way that he would speak about things, as you were saying, was like, um, you know, he would basically decide what he wants to leverage yeah and if if anything he would be like show me proof and if we did show him proof uh it was like oh that's not real proof so it was really categorized as far as what he thinks is valid and is not um so there was that challenge even if you were to bring up something it would be like okay well let me go in to explain this basic thing and then he'll like go into like a much deeper thing but it obviously it's not going to be a straight up answer, but when we're asking and being like, hey, what about this? He's like, well, let me go into this huge topic. And then it kind of just gets all yeah. messed up. Yeah. Yeah. What were um, some of your favorite comments? I know, Amber, you were looking at some, but we had his, he has a huge fan base. He promised us at the uh, beginning of the podcast that it's going to be our biggest podcast ever and we're going to want him back um and all of this stuff but it was true that like the comments section is going crazy and he it's... was slightly undermined like th- there wasn't a total belief on him when he said that but he did bring through a, a little lot. bit of a crowd he did bring yeah. through a little bit of a crowd the views weren't crazy and it's not the, the most viewed but but the engagement yeah i think that the, he definitely has a huge fan base behind him yeah um that will click on anything with his name on it and you know support it i also want to know who has converted to flat earthism after our podcast (laughs) let's see the damage (laughs) whoa amber (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that's funny. Was there anything in particular you thought was funny in the like in the comments that uh, some of his supporters were leaving? I mentioned uh, actually one of our interns sent this when it came up, and it was just so funny. It, I'm gonna read it now. It says, "It's entertaining to see these bougie zoomers get flat woke." <laughs> They were pretty reachable, though. It's more entertaining when the podcasters get angry, ask more desperate questions, and throw out more, but my astrophysics professor said this type stuff. Hardly even a good performance from Dave. Just sort of him on autopilot. Looking through these Zoomers videos, and man, they have some warped sense of reality and NPC-tier worldview. At least they're somewhat aware of the ball earth lie now. <laughs> so that's us, we're the Zoomers. He sounds like a Reddit user that's okay thank you shamir i have been spending days thinking about what the word is that describes like these people who are like this deep into it because they have such a like way of speaking and it's it's you're right it's reddit it's like reddit, how reddit, reddit users, users speak. yeah <laughs> so like, like reddit users like swear they're better than everybody else oh yeah like they think they are better than everybody yeah. else and you know, so it's very clear when they talk. One time I went on like Reddit, right? And I was going on this like solo travel, like subreddit, right? I wanted to like figure out what's the best place to like solo travel by yourself, like first time, you know? I was like, what, uh, where are some cheap places, but that are still fun to go to? I typed that in, right? Exactly like that. And they're like, go research yourself. I was like, I'm going on Reddit <laughs> to research. And like, and there was a whole subreddit that people help you like how to solo travel. And they just said, go research yourself. And I'm like, what the heck? So I think this whole episode, the reason we're bringing this up is because I think this whole episode, we have to reemphasize the point like of, of what our purpose is. But we don't spend every episode talking about the previous episode, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but it's like we, uh, we have to because sometimes we have to restate what our mission is in all of this. And this was an extreme example of disagreeing with somebody and having them onto our show. But I think that there is this case of um, so much polarization in our country and maybe in the world because of the internet and what we consume, where everything that we're consuming is things that we agree with and we don't even hear anything else out. And in this case, it was like, to me, and, and we said this at the beginning of the last podcast, so we're not trying to like um, just bag on David or anything. He was great. He was a nice guy. But Super at the nice. beginning of the podcast, um, he was like, you know, there's some people that think that flat earth is completely BS. And then, you know, I said right away, like, yeah, that's, I'm one of those people. I'll go with that. Um, and that was, that was the case basically. But in a lot of situations, like we don't even know what somebody else really believes in. We just hear flat earth and we're just like, we just mark it yeah. off. And we just wanted to see like, wait, like what even, how do you get behind this? What's the story here, right? Um, and when it comes to other situations, like um, whether it be political or whatever else where people are choosing sides, a lot of times you just see a label or a term and you're just like mark off and you yeah. don't even associate. You're like canceled. If you use this term or um, you, know, you associate with this symbol at all, you're marked off and your, your argument is invalid. Um, there was, there was a situation that happened recently that it was just so bizarre. I have to share it, but we have this, um, Facebook group for my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically like people share on there, all right, like, you know, 
they have questions about, okay, trash day recycling and what's the neighborhood doing for Halloween since COVID is going on. Or like, you know, I have the, these bulk items where like just stuff like that, like, right. Like neighborhood stuff. And they also like complain on there. So there's a lot of like Karens that are on this group. And Can the I other, ask how many people it is just to preface, like, is it like, is it like 20 group? families or is it like, Oh no, no. It's like, hun- it's like hundreds. Oh. Um, hundreds okay. Our whole, our whole development. It's not just like my street. So um, it's a lot of people on there. And recently, um, somebody posted a picture of a girl who was walking her dog and pooped on her lawn. She has one of those ring doorbells. And she posted it on the Facebook group and was like, hey, like this girl, you know, is walking her dog and this, this, this. And uh, people are commenting on the post and they're like, oh, this is so messed up. Like you should call the police on her. And then it, it started escalating so much that people are like, you should involve PETA. Here's the number. And like all of this stuff. And then people started zooming in on the girl, taking pictures of her and like replacing her face with other people in the group and saying like, this is something that like Sean would do or something (laughs) and like bagging on each other. Right. We saw this. So me and, um, Ahmad, who is uh, our friend who um, is in a lot of our videos and everything, he lives right next door to me. We, we will like screenshot things from that group and then, you know, talk about it amongst ourselves. My sister is still in the group too. She's moved out, but she just loves the entertainment of it. Um, and so like we have, you know, group chat. I'm about to join this group. What do you mean? <laughs> it's so funny. You would, it's so funny. But so uh, we posted it in there. We're like, oh my God, like what's going on here? Ahmad took the liberty of going outside and ringing the neighbor's doorbell. He just did this on his own. I mean, like, hey, uh, you're posted all over Facebook. And Wait, will you guys recognize the girl? Yeah, like, we all okay. know who everybody who is. is. So, okay. like, anybody could have just been like, hey, it's this person. Just walk over. Literally, you, she could have, like, walked across the street, rung the doorbell, and been like, hey, your dog pooped my lawn. Can you, like, fix the situation, right? They right. didn't do that. And um, so then Emma did it. And then the guy was like, um, this is my 12-year-old daughter. And you're posting her pictures all over Facebook and doing all these things to it. And you're going to threaten to call PETA and the police when it's, you know, can be solved a so 12 easily. A 12-year-old. She's a preteen. <laughs> now, I, I'm not a huge fan of dogs. I think, you know, some are cute and whatever. And when a dog poops on my lawn, it's like annoying, right? But I have never thought in my life that I'm going to call the police on somebody, let alone <laughs> PETA, for dog poop. It's a lawn. It's dog poop. It's not that big of a deal. If I see that person, I'll be like, "Hey, it's probably don't gonna do that. help the ground anyway." Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not I, like it's I'm it's annoying, joking. so I'm not even gonna go down that lane. But this is this the whole reason I bring this story up is people are not interested in solving problems. That is that is mm-hmm. my takeaway from not only this situation but so much of what we have experienced in the last few years of growing up in America, dealing with internet and and politics really that people have gone so far that they are not interested in solving the problem they are interested in furthering the problem and creating a situation how inconvenient is it to go out of the way like make memes of this person call PETA share that like you can you are in the same neighborhood this is how bad it's gotten that you are neighbors with this person. <laughs> neighbors are, so, it's in your biblical book. Like, yeah. you know, 
You know what I mean? Like we, we learn this stuff and we share it in quotes all the time, but we don't practice it. Yeah. And your yeah. literal neighbor, you are treating like they are a criminal, a 12-year-old I mean, I think, girl. I think what you said kind of like emphasizes it is people don't look for a solution because those same people that bring up these problems and they're like, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And like they want to like hype it up more. The second that you're like, okay, so what should we do about it? Like you'll notice yeah. they'll dodge the solution to complain about it more. Like, exactly. instead of actually finding a solution, it's like, what more can I say? And honestly, they'll go into, like, another, like, level of it, too. Like, yeah. okay, like, if, exactly. if it's just a dog pooping on here, why did you go on your ring doorbell, <laughs> look through it? Why were you looking through footage like that anyway? Then you're like, oh, <laughs> let me, let me screenshot, let me post this. Like, I gotta that, say, she I gotta show say, power. it's, it's often, power. it's often the mayonnaise mafia. It's often... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, mm-hmm. they see people, they don't have time for this. Yeah. Black people, they don't have time for this. Listen, they like, see people really don't like dogs. And we've had, like, a couple of annoying dogs in their neighborhood. And I've never heard anybody be like, oh, yeah, let's, like, call the police on this dog. <laughs> like, it's weird, I've had a dog man. chase me down three I, streets I, before. I, and I think we're like, it, talk to the neighbor about it. I think it's, a, like, a neighbor hierarchy thing. Like, they want to show that they have power. And then be like, if you do something like this again, this is the result of it. Wait, so yeah. what happened with the guy? What did he end up doing? Did he, like, call him out? Did they take it down? Well, so um, our hero in the story, Ahmed Hamayo, uh, <laughs> after he showed him, the guy, you know, posted on Facebook and said, like, you know, next time just walk over. Let's, like, deal with it or whatever. But I don't appreciate what has happened. And a bunch of people liked it and agreed with it. And that's what they do. They just, you know, when they see everybody is liking getting behind something, they'll just either... Uh, add fuel to the fire be like oh yeah like we should love each other and whatever but the real hero of the story here is Ahmad Hamayo the one yeah, and only Ahmad and, 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 and this is just to let anybody in my neighborhood know that y'all just moved in we are the dons Hello. of the neighborhood alright <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> we still we still run it even if we're not getting involved on that level we'll screenshot your stuff we're watching everything so you better be careful also, to bring this you, back you around... You better be careful, Frost. You're threatening them. You're going to end up on that Facebook page next. <laughs> Let's oh, call they the probably, they, they probably have been looking for something since we've been here. We've lived here since we were kids. I'm surprised they haven't put a noise complaint about you yet. No, they can't. Well, they all, they're all way worse. Shamir knows, like, yeah. you know... There's, my, like, people my, fighting next door. Yeah. Saying, like, F-words and shit. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Some of them be, be wilding out. But also, um, to, to bring this back around um, to why that original story came up about the um the flat earth thing um if we're interested in solving a problem right our takeaway basically from that episode was that the problem that he and a lot of flat earthers have is with the government it's not with the earth being flat Mm -hmm. and a lot of people can agree to that somewhat of the government issue right Mm -hmm. and so if you if we come across somebody in the future who is an expert in science or space uh, or whatever and is credible and also can understand where this person is coming from as far as not having trust in the government, it would be a really healthy conversation to, to really get to some real solutions and be like, all right, let's see <laughs> what. Next episode on Strange Flavor, just have them both. We all block Bill out Nye. cameras and <laughs> we just, have we them have, just go off on our go we off. Have, we have Bill Nye episode. versus David Weiss. 
<laughs> but yeah, you I just, mean, like, like set up a platform for like people on different sides to debate. We're the new yeah. cut. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, like on this podcast and in real life, that is my interest. I think that's a lot of our interest is like, how can we learn what we've, uh, you know, given a platform to and an opportunity for someone to speak and further a conversation to learn more, yeah. right? I, I think um, I, it made me not like take everything at face value. Like I was actually like starting to question like things here and there, like mm-hmm. not trust everything at face value. I think that's like a pretty important lesson. Like do your own research, uh, look at, things and they might be different than what they seem. Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson of really any situation uh, that we've faced is just do your own research, make up your own mind and don't just blindly follow anything. Um, And again, I I will say I will say real quick that David Weiss was an extreme example of that. So we're not saying, you know, that you should consider that the earth is flat or whatever. If that's on you, honestly, if after that episode, that's where you went towards I'm I'm sorry. I but mean, he promoted his heck? app but, and everything, so if yeah. you wanted it, you could find it. Yeah, but but that's what we were. That was what our intention was. What's the other comment that you wanted to share? You all need to find yourselves a job. <laughs> Agreed. 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 Great point. <laughs> Great point. And that is the so- real solution. Wait, how did they know? <laughs> right. <laughs> how <did> they know? <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, hopefully this. I don't see how it could be, but this next uh, guest uh, is not as controversial as the last. But we are excited to have this uh, this person on. So the stranger today is the writer and director of Code Switched, which is a popular comedy series that follows the lives of South Asian Americans in Chicago. We're talking to him about developing the show as well as the Brown sitcom scene and where he plans to take all of this attention next. Please welcome Karan Sunil. <laughs> Do you know that we have, well, you have code switched, but we have brown code. Now, (laughs) this is an interrogation. Did you or did you not know about brown code and why did you steal our idea? I did not know about brown code. <laughs> False. I did not know about 2017, brown code. Twenty seventeen, brown code. That I I did not I did not. This is the first time hearing uh, hearing of it actually. No, I'm just joking. What it's is not? It's nothing like code switched. Yeah. What, what's the brown code? Give me the what, what's brown code. Brown code basically we we have a cultural comedy channel called Ronoponal. And yeah, Brown Code was a series we put on there. It was actually the first collaboration that me, Shamir, and Amber did together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was inspired by MTV's Guy Code or Girl we actually Code. stole there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just a it's just a chain of theft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ending with you. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll carry it on. I'll carry on the legacy. Yeah. I'll keep stealing. No, but basically we would invite brown people of all different back- backgrounds to explain, give us the code of different things. Like, you yeah. know, what do you do when you don't have a lota in public and like mm-hmm. all different oh. types like that. Like what's in your yogurt container, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, all yeah, different it's not yogurt. Things like that. <laughs> it's not yogurt. <laughs> no, but uh, that was, that was um, when we saw Code Switched, I, we actually heard, I heard of it for the first time with one of the collaborators we were doing during Brown Code and they were really mm-hmm. hyping this show up. So I think it had been in the air and... Just a few months ago, maybe a, mo- a month or two ago, I saw that it was finally on YouTube and people were talking about it. And I decided to check it out. And it's only, what, posted in October of 2020, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It was uh, four days before the election. Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. How long had you been working on it since then? Because I, I think we heard of it a, a while before that. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a three, almost, almost for a three-year journey. Mm. So, so you came up with the idea three years ago and then have been basically trying to write it out and find people for it and find ways to budget it? Yeah, it, it had been a very long process, but I mean, I, I'd come up with it in 2016 and uh, we started the process of making the show in its first stage, which was a, uh, a, a crowdfunding campaign uh, to raise the money to do a, sh- a season of a web series. And then, um, you know, so from, I think we really started, I, I consider the real beginning of the project when we, uh, I held, so I held these focus groups uh, in, so I was in Chicago and uh, I was a, uh, f- you know, I was working in the film scene freelance. Uh, I was going to film school and I was also working at the IO comedy theater in Chicago uh, doing digital stuff. So I was around comedians and like stand-ups and improvisers all day, uh, but I wasn't a, a stand-up or an improviser. So I was just, I was caught between the film world and the comedy world. And so I had basically at that time, I thought of this show, uh, which is not a, you know, a novel premise at all, just a friendship show with brown people in it. And, uh, but it was something I didn't have growing up. And so I actually started to write it out as a, as a concept at the end of 2016. And then 2017, I held these focus groups with um, young brown people, basically brown people between 18 and like 26 in Chicago at different universities like UIC, DePaul, just like schools around me um, to get a better understanding of what it means to be like a millennial brown person in first generation, second generation in, in the US. And I lived that experience personally, but you know, if we use the word brown, if we use South Asian, like this is billions of people and our, our stories are so vast and so different. And yeah. so I wanted to, especially because the, the show was about a, a group of friends, uh, you know, that are not all Indian or Hindu or, you know, um, it's, it's an eclectic group. I wanted to talk to people like that. So that's why I really consider the beginning of the project. And uh, from that point, that was, must have been um, to that early, you know, early 2017. Is that how you pitched uh, it? Is yeah, I was like, I'm making ha- a show for brown people, come be a part of my focus group, or even when you were doing, doing the crowdfunding. Is that what you pitched? Yeah, yeah. I was pitching it as a, a friendship show with brown people. And, and, you know, what happened was when I got those people in the focus groups, a lot of them were, you know, friends of friends and, you know, they were just looking for something to do in the evening. Yeah. And we, you know, I couched it as that. It's like, hey, I'm building this show and I, I'm trying to field uh, experiences and understand more before I do it. And then in the crowdfunding campaign, we, you know, translated that language there too, which was talking about uh, a group of friends. And, and I used a lot, you know, first generation uh, is a big part of it too. And, and that's, I would say, been a part of the process of the show from the beginning is like, you know, what does it mean when you are the product of an immigrant? And if you are the product of an immigrant, whether you immigrated yourself or your parents did, uh, what is that life like? Because when you're so connected to your immigration story, uh, the stakes are so high. But at the same time, we're at a point where, you know, we're in a country and in a time where, 
there's just a million ways to ball out and make horrible decisions. And it's like, I'm really interested in the combination of those two. And I think first generation folks have a very unique worldview in that we want to reap the benefits of the hard work that mm. our past generations have put in and really like make bad decisions and live for the moment. But at the same time, like I don't, very, very few of us, I think operate daily life without thinking about the stakes, thinking mm. about like, man, my parents busted their ass to get here. Or like, you know, t- even taking aside the expectations they might put on you, but the guilt you feel yourself, mm. you know, you know, and I, and I think a lot of that was uh, started there. And I think that's how I was also bringing people together is like, Hey, look, um, you know, we all live this in some way. Let's put it in a show. Since this it, was, go oh, ahead, Amber. Uh, since this was obviously you're pitching in as idea that hasn't been done yet. Was there shows that you had maybe watched that inspired it, or like the style of a show that kind of you felt like really spoke to what you were trying to create? Yeah, um, you know, when I first started the journey of making the show, there were actually much fewer of the more bra- mainstream, you know, shows with brown representation. Uh, you know, we didn't have. Patriot Act. We didn't have Rami. We didn't have a lot of those shows Uh, at the time. Yeah, we didn't have Never Have Ever, uh, you know. So at the time, the Mindy Project was out and the first season of Master of None had just come out. But I think the the, the shows that I was looking at were uh, those 90s sitcoms. I was looking at a lot of, you know, Seinfeld and Friends. and, Mm. And then I was also looking at actually Atlanta uh, I which knew had it. just come out. Yes. Yeah. Look, look at some of my questions. I <laughs> said, because your intros, whenever you had the brown, uh, code switched, was like very similar to the Atlanta thing. Like if you move an object and it said code switched. And it was yeah, filmed. Yeah, it's embedded into the world. Yeah. 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 And uh, you could really I, see that inspiration there. Absolutely. Atlanta was, uh, I would say, the biggest uh, inspiration of the show. And, I, and, you know, it's a very different show from Atlanta. And, uh, but I think I learned a lot of lessons from watching that show on how you actually, what does it mean when you portray a, a certain group of people that within that group are also extremely different? And when you put class in there, when you put, um, you know, uh, identity, upbringing, uh, and also location, that's the other thing is like, you know, uh, Atlanta, obviously the title, but like that's that show feels and breeds the city that it's in. And I think the big important thing for me was like, I wanted to make a show that felt like Chicago. And, and so that was, um, yeah, but I would say definitely. Uh, I just want to say like, I think you really did put in a universe into that show. Like I felt like I was in a different world, but I kind of understood it and it did feel like Chicago and like the sweaters that people were wearing, like UIC, it's like, I did feel like I was in this different world. And it's I appreciate that. In um, small amount of episodes. So, Thank you. Yeah, yeah they I were really all like 12, 15 one. minutes, but only five episodes you did get a grasp of like mm-hmm. um, a good amount of like what the characters, even though there were so many characters yeah. uh, in these small episodes, like what they were going through. And it gave that 90s feel that you're talking about because that's kind of, I've been binging 90s uh, shows and I was like, why does this feel so comforting? And it, because it gave me that feel yeah yeah it's it's um well thank you that's really i really appreciate it and uh you know i think building i'm very interested in world building because i do think that like if we're talking about 
portraying or showing narratives and showing people like us and putting representation. I mean, people love to use representation and diversity as the words, but like, what does that mean, right? Like, what does it mean to do that? And I think it more than anything, you're world building, you're putting people in our shoes. And I think that actually goes beyond putting a face on a screen or giving a name. I think you actually have to put us, you have to put people in our worlds. And I think about first generation folks and our stories are so, so, you know, they cannot be encapsulated in one show. And, and even brown people, I do not think Code Switch should or can, uh, you know, encapsulate the South Asian experience. But I think a lot of us are caught between the suburbs and the city. You know, that's a, a big part of our upbringing. What does it mean? Like, and a part of that was like, how do I put you in that world? Like there were specific episodes where I wanted to put you in the suburbs and there's certain episodes I want to put you in the city. And uh, I think that's, for me, that's what it was like growing up was, you know, the suburb was not just an escape, but it came with its own identity. But then when I came to the city, it was more of a different identity too. So I wanted to actually put those together uh, as what, a part of the world building. What is your thought on like, um, you know, making a brown sitcom versus the brown version of a sitcom? You know what I mean? Because uh, there was a Jay-Z music video actually, Moonlight. Um, and mm-hmm. at the intro of that, um, it basically, I think it follows the whole Moonlight debate that happened with the controversy of the yeah. Oscars, right? And at the beginning of the video, this guy, uh, he's trying to make, I believe it's a black Friends. So a black version of the show Friends. So do you ever, does that ever go through your mind of like, how am I not going to make brown Friends and make something that's original to a brown sitcom? Yeah, yeah, because I, you know, it's 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 really interesting you say that because one of the questions I'd asked myself early on was because I, you know, a lot of those '90s shows were things I looked at. Was uh, would it be a victory if we just built that if Seinfeld had brown people and it was the same show and had brown people? I, I would say it'd be great because we'd see brown people on screen, but it didn't feel honest to our experience because I think that, um, you know, there's A, not really consequences for those characters uh, for a lot of that show. But the idea of doing anything you want and then at the end of 30 minutes showing up to a, you know, um, a cafe or a, a couch and laughing it off is not our experience. I think we face as South Asian folks, as immigrants, you know, uh, we face consequences for being selfish. And I think that that was as interesting to me as showing the selfishness. So that's why I felt like Code Switch was like, it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, it's just the hijinks of friends. But like, what does it mean when you do make selfish decisions? You know, you lose friends, you lose jobs, you lose respect. And those are things we care about a lot, I think, as, as people. And you add on to that, I think the other part is the generational element. I think a lot of millennials, we want our cake and eat it too. Like we want, it's not just like, we want to be, you know, a lot of us are very ambitious and we want to do accomplish things. But like, I think most of my friends who are millennials and are brown, like we want to be great at work, but we also want our family to love us. And we want to have a lot of friends and we want all those things. And I think when you make decisions to have all those things, I think you end up actually losing yourself in the process. And I think that's also where the show's title came from. Do you find yourself code switching often in your life like, what's your background and upbringing and, and what's the, you know, switch of codes that you have to personally take on? 
Yeah, I, I say all the time, every day, you know, um, but, you know, and also looking back at my life, you know, I was born in India, I was born in Bangalore. Uh, I lived there till I was nine. I was a black sheep there and I've always been a black sheep in almost every environment or community I've been in in some way. Because in India, I went to, you know, a very rigid school where it was not just like put your head down and do work, but like you weren't encouraged to uh, be creative or really share your thoughts. And I really struggled in that environment, you know. And then when my family moved to the U.S., to Seattle, um, I thought I was done. I was like, great, I'm moving to America. Like, people are going to care about what I'm into. And when I showed up, I was actually, A, just super confused because I didn't, you know, the America I was sold on was the America on Cheers and Friends. And it wasn't like the, you know, the world also, I it's, entered. It's Seattle. It's Seattle, so that's a right? Little, it's not New York. It's not Chicago. Thing. It's not LA. Exactly. So I was confused there. But the other thing was like, I grew up in Seattle around a lot of rich brown people because a lot of them were in tech. And uh, that's the other thing. It's like, like San Francisco, all the uncles and aunties were working for Amazon and, and uh, Microsoft and Starbucks and all of that, right? So it wasn't just the fact that they were mostly in tech and medicine, but they were rich. Like... And I think that really influenced me because it's like, it's not just the pressures of like, you should be a doctor, you should be in tech, you should be that, but also like, we're fucking rich. And it's when you see that in front of you, um, it only further makes you want to pursue those paths, you know? And I, I was never good at math or science. I was really, really bad at school. And uh, so I felt like a black sheep even there. Like all my friends were like way higher achieving than me. And all their families had more than us. And uh, it, it, I felt different there. And so I was code switching to try to fit in in that space. You know, Did you and have brown was, friends or, or was it a diverse group of friends? I think growing up, I had a very binary group. I had white friends and I had brown friends. I did not have a lot of uh, friends of, of, of color that were not brown. And, and I think it's because I grew up in a very white and very um, South and East Asian uh, community. And so, you know, a lot of us, I, I made a lot of my friends because they were friends of my parents, because my parents as brown people at these large companies, like my dad worked for Microsoft, you know, they flock to other aunties and uncles that work at Microsoft. And then suddenly you're having dinner parties on the weekends and then their kids are your friends. And then suddenly like that becomes my bubble. And then the white kids at school that, you know, uh, I was trying to impress or, or trying to fit in with and that became my social circle. And that's until when I graduated high school, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And when you asked about my friend group, I didn't really, I felt like I didn't fit in with my white friends and I didn't fit in with my brown friends because I was the one, you know, I was the only Indian kid in my entire high school that was in basic math, the only one. And the only people that were pointing that out was not even the white kids. It was the brown kids that were like, oh yeah, Karen, he's not bright, you know? He's and, not bright. You know, he's not very bright, you know, because oh, bright, he's just bright. doing basic math. Yeah, you know, and then the judgment from uncles and aunties and stuff. So I didn't feel like I related in that space. So I moved. I moved to Chicago uh, because I wanted to go to a place that had a lot more, um, had a different worldview, but also had a, a place where I could meet more people. Uh, and Were then you when into I moved to like a film and everything by the time you, like, why did you just decide to move to Chicago? Was yeah, that actually, that was the other thing was like part of me not being good at math and science was I was a very creative kid and I actually wanted to be a painter pretty much my whole childhood. Um, and I was doing a lot of fine arts, drawing, painting, you know, that's what I spent my, a lot of my free time doing. 
And, and where your parents I, like, what are you doing? Well, give me that brush. Let me hit you with that in the back of the head. You know, it's Get interesting. You. My parents um, were... I, I'm very blessed that my parents have supported me in my creative endeavors, but I'm also... I think it's not just from, it, it was the fact that my parents didn't get to do what they wanted to do, specifically my dad. Hmm. He didn't really get to do what he wanted to do. And uh, he didn't, and uh, there was family, all that, like, you know, he wanted me to have a chance to do what I wanted to do. But when he moved, when we moved to America at, and me being a kid, I think he saw that, and my mom saw that like, this was such a difficult change for me. And they wanted to try to at least embrace some ways of me trying to fit in. And, and that was that. But the other thing is they, it was very clear at an early age that I would absolutely uh, fail in any kinds of like of the rigid uh, environments that they put me in. So they were like, if we push him into medicine or law or thing, he will actually fail. Because this kid takes 50 minutes to understand a concept that I am explaining to him very night and day. So once my dad was like, oh, math is not going to do it. And science is not going to do it. He was like, all right, well, so they kind of supported me out of fear and out of uh, also, I think, wanting me to uh, to be who I am. So I think I'm very blessed in that regard. I know that's not always the case, but I think it has a lot to do with we were figuring it out as a family moving in uh, before I was born. Uh, I mean, sorry, after I was born. And, and so I think that was part of it. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, with your friend group um, on the show, you have a very diverse, um, you know, group of brown people, as you mentioned, you even have, um, we follow the story of like a Korean, it's a gay Korean guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, uh, black folks in the show. Um, is it ever, especially for such a short series, overwhelming to try to be that inclusive when you're making a show like that? I think when you set out on the, on the goal of being inclusive, I think it becomes that way. Uh, because it, it doesn't feel, you know, I mean, obviously when I say that, it's like, uh, you know, you want to be inclusive and, and want to include stories. But like when you're like, I need to diversify, I need to like when those become the mandates early on, I think that's when it becomes not just not honest, but like you end up having to connect the inclusion to the creative. Whereas I was interested in it being part of the creative. So like in Chicago, we had some we had. Um, the faces that we have in the show that are not brown, for example, the friends of the lead characters, because those were the communities that uh, I was around and was embraced by. And, you know, when I went to uh, the comedy community is a big, big part of the show, because in Chicago, almost the entire cast are comedians from that scene in Chicago. And uh, I was, like I said, I was around these establishments, these theaters, Second City, IO, all that, where all of these people flocked to. But, you know, just like any institution, these are white institutions. So when I was going to these shows, even the idea of improv and the idea of stand-up, it's like these golden examples that everyone is trying to come and learn and be. But what I noticed was like the black comedians, the East Asian comedians, the South Asian comedians, when we were given stage time or we were given an opportunity to talk about it, we were making fun of the pain that comes with existing and growing up the way we have. And yeah. I think that that was just infinitely more interesting to me than like, I want to be really good at improv. It was like I, when I got to shows, I noticed like a lot of the peop the uh, artists of color were like offering some a new perspective onto something very relatable and very painful actually. And so that's why I was like, when I, I wanted to make a show that 
put them on the forefront is like who are the POC comedians in Chicago at this time so I think that's where the inclusion came so it felt natural like I I think I mean even um, watching it I just realized like most of the main characters are people of color like it I just realized that it wasn't like oh shoehorn in your face like oh these are everyone it's a person of color so well that's why I asked that too is because I think nowadays we have a lot of like forced diversity and when I started the show, actually, that's what I was scared of, right? I was like, oh, God, I hope this isn't like, yes, we're brown, brown everything. Because there is a lot of that out there, a lot yeah. of it. And we see, because we're trying to, we try our best to promote and, 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 you know, watch and pay attention to other people who are doing great things like that. But sometimes when it's just like the show or the uh, skit or whatever sort of piece you're offering is just about being that thing. And there's no story. There's no, yeah. you know, problem um, or deeper understanding to what's really going on. Uh, that becomes really annoying. And it becomes like, um, you know, it, it becomes just for us and, and nobody else could watch it. And it's just like we can applaud and pat ourselves on the back. And I hate that. So as Shamir is saying, I'm glad that like, you know, um, going into it, you did see that that deeper understanding is that ever a line that you have to like figure out like you know where to go from yeah it is you know because when you uh, we i think a lot of times when we we're thinking about diversity oftentimes when we have to qualify it and to me i just thought about like who do i spend time with who are the people that yeah. are actually in my life who i connect with and i think with code switched yes i walked in with an intention to make it very South Asian. You know, there's 26 speaking South Asian roles in the show because I want, A, I was doing it because that's my, that's a lot of my experience, but also B, like, I was kind of trying to prove something. I was trying to be like, look, this is what a show would look like if it cast a lot of brown people. And look, like, it is not that, you know, it's it's got its own flavor, but it, it it's not radicalizing the, you know, the medium in any way. And so that was part of it. But then I was like, who are the people that we relate to? And who are the people that are actually in our lives? And it, that's what, you know, a lot of the folks in the show are our friends. But I was thinking when we're trying to find that line of like, oh, I need this many people. I need this. I need oh, I need this many black faces in the uh, on the you know screen. I need this many brown faces. And I think that's when, like you said, I think a lot of times people that ask those questions are people who are not you don't understand the value of putting ourselves on screen, right? I think there's like it's just not creative. Of, it's not creative. Yeah, like corporations, networks, a lot of places. They're the ones that they want the PR, they want all that. So if you if that's the goal, then you're going to actually think about it in a rigid way. What's the percentages? What? How many numbers? Whereas if it's like I want to tell this type of story, and you bet on you actually bet on creators of color they will naturally put in the diversity because they're being honest to their experiences, right? And, and so I think that's like, I just, I use the word honesty because this is like, this is what I lived like. And if I, I think if I was somebody that only hung out with white people and I was honest to that experience, then you would get that show. You would get the show of where I'm the one brown person and everybody I'm, I hang out with and, and love and are uh, invested in are, are white people, then... You know, that's what you you're know, going to get. I actually have, I actually have um, trouble understanding when it is a show that is, uh, say, 
a brown girl that falls for the white guy, right? Mm-hmm. We we immediately get the the backlash. Oh, another one of these, right? Which is understandable. But my argument is, what if that is the story, right? Yeah. What if the story is that this guy happens to drive the taxi or something, or it's that typical, one of those typical sort of stories that happens to be um, this person's experience. When you were figuring out what to write about all of these people's stories, you said that you did the, um, the little study groups, right? How did you figure out what stories were going to work? And did you run into the trouble of like f- trying to avoid the st- stereotypical stories at all? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it was, um, yeah, because a lot of people do live that experience, you know, and I, I was, it was more the questions that I asked them. And also it was like what stood out to me. And, you know, when I was in those focus groups and I was talking to a lot of brown people, like, yeah, I was getting a lot of the stories of experiences that I've seen before on screen, you know. Um, and did you purposely avoid that? I I think it was the stuff that interested it, it interested me. And I think in that yeah. way I was avoiding it because it was less interesting to me. I was flocking towards the stories that were more interesting because, you know, like in, in Code Switched, there's a narrative in there about, a, you know, a Pakistani Muslim girl who dates this Hindu Indian guy. And it was something that when I was in those focus groups talking to them, that was a very common, you know, subject that people were talking about, especially at a young age when, when like you're, uh, you don't have to, you know, you can actually enjoy like the short term relationships and, and, uh, and it's kind of just there. You're in college. You're like, you're, you're just meeting so many different types of people. I noticed that a lot of folks like, were, uh, you know, like I, I met a lot of Muslim friends and a lot of like Hindu friends that were dating, uh, you know, a Hindu dating a Muslim, Muslim dating a Hindu. And then it's like, they all hit that wall at some point of like, all right, got to take the next step, got to involve the family, got to do that. And then at that point, a lot of them ended up crumbling. But then I was like, why, right? Like, what is the, why is that? It, it, it I wanted to know beyond just like the religious difference and whatnot, like, what mm-hmm. is it? And what I noticed that was interesting to me was less about my parents won't accept it. And it was more about almost judging or assuming what the, uh, the, the road would be for that relationship. You know, like a lot of them didn't even entertain the idea with their parents because they were afraid to, you know? And I was much more interested in that. Is it's like, well, why are you making that choice? You know, like, what is it? Is it actually because you don't actually really love this person? You know, because it's like, if you really love this person, are wouldn't you at least challenge it, right? And so those are these questions I'd asked, and I was more interested in in that, and less interested in the, um, I will disown you if you go with this person and stuff that I think we'd seen before. That's so, so true. It was, I think in a in a typical show or movie, we do see. That the brick wall, as you call it, is the parents. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, it's always about coming back to the family. And we actually didn't uh, explore that. Um, yeah, but without any spoilers, like you did tackle that in a different and unique way. And you kind of explained it in the actual show, but it's really cool. Yeah, it, it was, it was, you know, and I, by the way, I, the other thing I was looking at, which was part of uh, what we'd seen before was I was seeing... Um, a very common narrative of brown men um, basically denying, like not not just that brown men who were 
chasing white women, but also the part of it was like not including it. You know, there's different movies you can point to and stuff, but it was brown men rejecting brown women for white women. That was like the most common narrative I'd seen. Way more common, honestly, than I'd seen the brown woman reject the brown man. Amber's like, and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, th- you know, right. there's a lot. We can name names. We can point stuff out. But I'm like, I, I looked at that. And part of what I want to do in Code Switch was, you know, I wanted to show a, you know, spoiler alert, you know, I wanted to show a brown woman reject a brown dude, you know, and and not for a white person, but because, you know, she's got other shit to do and this isn't right for her right now, you know? And so that's that's, that's the other thing. I was more interested (laughs) in that. So a little bit of that was reactionary to the time. We've seen more stories since then because we shot the show in 2018. But when I was doing it then, I actually wanted to show like the opposite of that. Cause we'd seen, I, I didn't think it would be additive to the space in any way. If it was like this brown dude that was like, nah, you know, you're sweet. And, uh, we, you know, we can relate over certain things, but I'm going to go, uh, you know, date this white girl. I think that was the, the thing I was just for fun. These, you should have had the brown girl just be like, let me go for a white, white man now. Yeah. You know, that's just for fun. That's, that's <laughs> just for exactly. Just to like, Oh, you know, an extra episode. Just say, that well, should have been the bonus why you material. don't make the show and he does. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> For sure. Amber's show would be so funny. Um, okay, so wait. So you're, um, you're Hindu Indian, right? Yeah, I'm uh, Indian. I'm um, South Indian. I, my family's from Kerala. And uh, we're Malayali. We speak Malayalam. And uh, we, I was, I'm Hindu born, but um, I didn't grow up in a very religious home. Sure. So I think my... Hindu faith is um, not a big part of my life, but it's also something I don't um, run away from. Sure. The cultural. So my my question was that, you know, you mentioned uh, there's Zara, who's the Pakistani Muslim character. Um, when you put a character out there like that, do you face backlash yourself um, for putting this character in that situation? Uh, in in what situation? Sorry. So so when she's going after a Hindu guy, an Indian, like often you see the clash between either the the nations or the religions. Um, did you face any sort of backlash or criticism towards that? No, I didn't. Uh, not in the process of 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 making the show actually, because I think yeah, I didn't face. You're you're talking about backlash of of the Muslim uh, community basically. Be, yeah, no, I didn't. And I think a big part of that was Sabine Sadiq, who plays the Zara character. Uh, she was a big part of the process of making the show from the beginning. The moment we cast her, I didn't want her to just show up at the call time and get it done. I think it was like she was a, I, I ran every script by her. We had discussions about scenes. Uh, I wanted to understand her perspective. And we made changes to the story based on her thoughts. And wow. a lot of that was she gave the lens of, you know, her, she herself is a Muslim Pakistani woman, but she's also um, somebody who her faith is important to her and she is a practicing Muslim. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of that perspective came from that. So I, I, if, it, you know, we haven't faced backlash, but I would, I would, I would credit that to her in, in coming in and, and uh, really sharing what I think was important to her. And, you know, I, there were moments of, um, you know, 
of fear. You know, there was definitely things that we were trying to tackle that Sabine was like, I don't want all my friends at the masjid to see this, you know, and like, I don't want, (laughs) uh, you know, all the aunties uh, or uncles to see this. So we, those were really interesting moments because we weren't just shying away from them. We weren't just saying, all right, we can't put these because there'll be judgment. We were actually take like, all right, let's take a second look and see which ones are worth exploring. And and which ones are not, you know, so. What a career she has chosen to, to try to avoid that. What yeah. was that? I said, what a career she's chosen to try to avoid that. Like, oh, in the man. long See, run, that's it's... The... <laughs> is that, is that why that. you didn't write any uh, kissing scenes in? That is, uh, that is a part of it. I think it's a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, Sabine, you know, I think the other thing was like, we wanted to make... Uh, it was such a fun environment and such an environment where everybody just wanted to hang out. And, and and a big thing for me was as the creator of the show, I wanted to set the precedent. Like this is a show about us and not me with you in it. And uh, you know, a big part of that is like, what are the scenes you're comfortable doing? What are the scenes you're not comfortable doing? And we had those conversations early on. So that was part of it, but the, yeah, but Sabine being a stand up, I think that was instant, by the way, like I found her like, the five leads, the five South Asian leads, there's a, there was a whole journey on even finding all of them. And with Sabine, I met her and first saw her at a stand-up show at a Mexican restaurant. It was an open mic at a Mexican restaurant. And she, it was two hours of some of the worst comedy I've ever seen, but she was hosting it. And she, there was just something so intrinsically interesting about her life. And like when we started to talk more, the fact that she is a practicing Muslim Pakistani woman who's also doing stand-up in Chicago, like she's already juggling worlds and the show is about juggling worlds. So I think like we were, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, the show benefits so much from getting her perspective on, on how to do that. Yeah. Was it, was it important for you or necessary at all um, to have the actors be of similar background to the characters? So like a Muslim playing a Muslim, a Hindu playing Hindu, Sikh, whatever it might be. Was that important? It was, yeah, it was super important. And uh, almost every single person in the show is playing a version of themselves that is, you know, like uh, we didn't really have, we had one or two examples of like a Muslim playing a Hindu and Hindu playing, um, you know, that, that itself is a really interesting conversation because I think with all this stuff, there isn't a... You know, there isn't a lot, a specific rigid line, you know, like these are all questions like, okay, do we want non South Asians playing South Asians? Probably not. But do we want, you know, what, what's the conversation in it? So when I, the reason I had a lot of, there was a one-to-one relationship in that was, uh, I think that there was a lot of texture that they could bring and honesty that they could bring. So because the, you know, one thing is I didn't do casting calls for this show. Uh, you know, we didn't, I handpicked everybody in the show. So the role was, no one was auditioning for the roles. Uh, The role was, and was the characters were already thought of in some way in a very base level. So this is like a group project. It's not like a, uh, like you guys did this together. We really did this together as a community in, in, in Chicago. Like whether it's the funding, it's the putting together the production, it was all, I really, this is a grassroots effort. And so like with the, the five, I knew I wanted a Hindu 
Muslim, uh, Hindu, um, Indian. I wanted a Muslim Pakistani. I wanted a, uh, a South Indian Christian, which is something we never really see online on media either. And then I found people that were that. And then we built the characters to, together. I mean, I, I always had a direction and I knew where I was going, but actually sculpting it that was, and it was important to me because like I said, I, I can't tell all these stories myself. Uh, I, you know, and so I wanted to f- actually have the performer be able to provide that texture, but also it was, you know, I had the ability because it wasn't, this is actually the benefits of the indie route that I took was that no one was telling me I can't do something. And because, you know, there was no mandate. I was just like, yeah, let's just get people to play a more honest version of themselves. I'm curious about like, you know, you talked about indie, um, what was the crowdfunding process like? How much did you guys like make and how much money went into this thing? Uh, the crowdfunding process was definitely, um, you know, very difficult. And I, I think probably the reason why I uh, have a few gray hairs and, you know, and I'm stressed, but uh, it was, it was, we, ra- so basically we raised about 30 grand to make the show. So we made the whole show on 30 grand and uh, we did that. We, did I you know we you wanted to make it like with that budget, because it looks very high quality, or were you, was that like I'm definitely gonna make it high budget? Well, I don't know if that's high, but really good looking in that way. It's very low budget for what we accomplished. Uh, I think what, yeah, I think for me it wasn't like all right, thirty is the way we'll get this product out of thirty. It was more so that when I went into the crowdfunding campaign, we didn't, I didn't have myself. I was not known online. I didn't have a following. We didn't have celebrities. We didn't have companies. We had no like additive. Uh, element that would bring about which would guarantee any form of fundraising and so 25k is what i placed the uh the goal on indiegogo as because it was an amount of money i felt i know i could make something with however it was also more money than i i felt i could just raise it was a little it was a combination of dreaming a little bit but also i know i could make something but it wasn't until the money came through. So we raised 20, we raised, when the Indiegogo campaign ended, we'd raised a little under 25. And then, you know, brown people being brown people a, a lot. We, after the deadline ended, I got a lot of like, oh wait, I want to donate in PayPal last minute, you know, uh, donations. And we went cross to the 25. But we you know, we had a woman named Komal Minhas from Toronto, who's an entrepreneur, an amazing, you know, amazing human. She came across our trailer, loved it. And she came in and donated you know, the rest of the money we needed to, to cross to the next level because she believed in what we were trying to do. And so she, so we were able to go to 30K and nice. uh, make the show. So it was, but I, I will say the reason the show looks the way it looks and feels the way it feels is because of the creative team and everybody buying into it. So David Hughes and Michael Ray are my uh, DP editor and producers. They are super talented and they took basically no money and they just bought in and we all like bootstrapped it. There's a organization called uh, Open TV in Chicago, a nonprofit that donated so many things to us, whether it's relationships or whatnot, and uh, a nonprofit called Full Spectrum in Chicago. We just went out and found people that were interested in increasing representation, but also like putting a show together like this. And we all pooled resources to, to get stuff for free. You know, went to restaurants. There were restaurants in Chicago that gave us free food. And we, that's how we made the, the money work. There's no way we would have made the show for 30K if we were just doing a typical like financing package. 
uh, yeah. we, it was really like people bought in and, and, and yeah. So what was the goal for it? Did you, were you supposed to go around and try to sell it to, um, you know, streaming services? It's on YouTube right now, but like, what, is that what the goal was or how were you supposed to? No, the goal was it? never to, to sell it. Uh, the goal was never to, uh, you know, uh, use it as a proof of concept for anything. The goal was this, this is the, this is both the means and the end. And I think that's why I was adamant about making the production, uh, quality be there. And all the pieces was, I was like, I, it's very simple. I wanted to give our people this show because I didn't have it growing up. And I felt like I, how can I do something that can be the product itself? So now when the show is out, like this is a full show, it's a full world we tried to build. Uh, and so the goal was like, we have a shot to just make something by itself. And, and it is the whole product. Uh, of course, you know, in the process, like I have, you know, built uh, versions of it that can be uh, scaled to TV and adapted. And that's something I'm looking at right now. But uh, the in intention and the goal was never to uh, make it to sell it. The goal was to like put a show out there for people to watch. That's really interesting because the reason I asked the um, the Muslim thing earlier was because we see shows like Rami and um, I'm forgetting the name of the one. It was the hijabi skateboarder. Hi. Hala. I forget. Hala. Hala. Yeah. Um, and it's heavily criticized by the community um, that I guess it's representing. I, I, I guess the debate of the creators is saying that it's a story it's not a representing necessarily a group of people but i say that to say other people outside of the community like it a lot the community itself for you know a, a lot of people it doesn't sit right this show is different because you know going through the comments anybody can go through them right now it's just like there's so much positive feedback and Every like brown people really feel like it's made for them. I don't know how non-brown people feel about it, but that was just kind of like an interesting thing to see for the first time. Same with Never Have I Ever. A lot of backlash on that. Yeah, you know that's really interesting point. I think um, I think part of it is when a show is about one lead, and uh, I think that's that's a similarity between the examples there is like you get to put a lot of exploration into that character and, and thus like a lot more room to criticize. Uh, I think the other thing that is, um, you know, South Asians as people, we're, 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 uh, we're challenging to make content for. And I think that's part of, it's you true. know, I will always do it and I, I, I always think it's worth it and I'll always put time into it, but it is not easy. And I think it's not easy because we are not, always the best about supporting our own because I think there's an, a lot of times we expect one piece of representation to speak for all of us and when you look at a thing like faith you look at uh, Islam like that's not a country that's not a town that's not a city that's that is truly universal and you, there's no way Rami could ex uh, have possibly you know encapsulated the Muslim experience, Hala, you know, never have I ever the, the experience of being a young brown girl. Like it's just way, it's impossible. And I think the goal is to never do that. But when I think a lot of it is a byproduct of where we're at with representation, you know, like we don't, we, we don't get more, you know, it's, it's only recently that we get 
more than one show a year with a brown person. So mm-hmm. when uh, Rami is the first of its kind, it faces the, I think, the challenge of when you are the first of something. And everyone ex- like everyone is so excited because, yes, we all want this. And then we all want it to be the thing that does that makes up for the years of us thinking about our plight and all mm-hmm. that. And when it doesn't, it's challenging for us, you know? And, um, yeah. and I think that's, it's, it's, it's a question I talk a lot about and, and ask a lot about with my friends of uh, creators who are brown. Like, how do we make stuff for our, our own people and deal with that backlash? So I think it's very simple to be like, this show is about a Muslim person or this show is about an Indian person we immediately compare it to our lives. Oh, this character is not doing what I do. This isn't fair to our people. So I think mm-hmm. those are a lot of assumptions we make as audiences. Um, but at the same time, like, I think, um, I don't know. I just think the audience is the, should be trusted. That's the other part of it that makes it really kind of a double-edged sword is that I, I don't believe in creators being like, ah, forget the audience, you know, um, I, I'm just going to do this anyway. It's, it's a really tough balance on, on juggling both those things. You know, as you have talked about this whole project, it sounds a lot like this was like a creative endeavor, passion project for you, but it doesn't seem like you've really spoken on your passion for like directing or writing or anything like that. Is that because it, it was more so just something that you had passion for as a project specifically or do you really have, you know, a passion for writing and directing? Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, I, you know, a lot of my conversation about Code Switch was just like, because I'm so, there's such a community element to it. I always want to give justice to that. But yeah, I'm a writer, director. This is my, uh, my real passion in life. I quit painting, which was what I thought was my passion in life <laughs> for many, many years because it wasn't collaborative. And mm. uh, for me... Writing, specifically TV, I work in TV. I work on the show Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on NBC. And uh, it is, to me, a writer's room is a place that I love so much because it's so highly collaborative. I want to work with people. And I think that's why I love directing as well, is it's creative and we get to tell stories. Uh, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I really believe in, in like, you know, finding ways to process what we live in and put it in something fun and entertaining. But writing and directing has really uh, pulled me because it's such a collaborative medium. And uh, I think that's like what that's what where my passion lies. And and I think TV directing, these are the things that I like to do. And uh, it's fulfilling to me because I get to work with people. And in Code Switch, kind of being an example of it's so you can make something great when you have a vision, but you enter, you let people enter it. I think that's that's a big part of it. What's next for you and like where where do you hope to um you know go in in this lane? Yeah, um I'm always writing and and uh developing new projects right now. Like I said I'm working on Zoe's extraordinary playlist. Uh I'm working on other projects that I'm trying to take off the ground. I'm I'm working with um a program film independent project involved to do a short film right now with a, a group of other fellows. Uh, that I'm the right. I'm a writing fellow there, and and there's fellows of other backgrounds, directors and cinematographers and stuff. And we're all making short films, um, and you know next year, or I guess this year, 2021. Now uh, I'm trying to, even though Code Switch started out as uh, a web series that was intended to be a web series, I think since the show came out, 
and got a lot of positive reception. A lot of people have been wanting to see more of this. And I think the goal is to give the world more Code Switch, whether that's... Season two? Season two of a web series, whether that's a TV show version. Mm. Um, you know, there's we're, we're looking at that right now. So I'm working on a couple uh, different projects, a couple TV projects and like a feature project that I'm writing. Uh, but in terms of this year, a lot of the attention is like, what's next for Code Switched? Yeah, mm. I know Shamir wanted to know that. We lost him uh, yeah. in the middle of this. But yeah, we'll, I was like, we'll, damn, we'll break. Yeah. I, it was in the middle of me talking about <laughs> about like representing people. And he's like, I'm out, I'm done. Yeah. Nah, this doesn't represent me. No, uh, we'll have to fill him in afterwards. And maybe we'll just yeah, keep that sure. secret to ourselves. Um, I wanted to also uh, get your thoughts on what's out there currently. Like, and, and you mentioned that, you know, we don't have a lot of options right now, which is probably why our communities are so uh, critical mm. when it comes to the stuff else there that's out there but um you know what do you what are your thoughts about like aziz ansari and mindy kaling and hasan minaj rizam with all these guys kumail nanjiani um even superwoman who's you know making it yeah like lily singh and all them yeah you know um i think first of all i'm very i'm very hopeful and encouraged and excited about the future because i think the folks you just named right i think they're a wave uh, of folks that really, I think they're highly criticized, and I'm, you know, I'm not an exception. I've, I've been there. I've criticized their Same work here. and them before. Yeah, we all have, right? Because it's because we care. Actually, really, that's the big thing is we care. And but I think what they did was they put a lot of star. I think as as brown people, if we're trying to increase uh, our, our representation, our stories, we need stars. We just need them, and uh, they did that is they, they, they became stars and they made it, you know, you, they made the idea of a brown person, you can at least point to somebody for the most part, which I think is absolutely essential. And I think they carried that weight uh, and I credit them for that. But I think the other thing is like, they're not the, uh, the answer to all of it. I think they've actually opened, I, I think they've unlocked the door that was locked for a very long time. What I'm really encouraged by and what I'm really excited by is there's a wave of South Asian creators right now that have followed that, that are actually opening that door. Like there are so many and, 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 and also su- not just talented, but super diversified. It's not just uh, writers, directors, actors. There's so many people in different realms of film and TV, but also other arts. And I'm really excited because a lot of us are using the internet to just make our stuff and put it out there and find audiences and grow. But the big thing is I think we're supporting each other like never before. I, I think because we care about our culture being on screen and we care about uh, each other and gal- and supporting each other. Uh, I'm in LA. I have a lot of creative friends who are brown right now who are all making our own work and we're all show up for each other, you know, support each other's projects, uh, invite each other to podcasts, you know, like do all that stuff that I feel the combination of the fact that we care about our community and we're diversified in our talent makes me think that the next five to 10 years, you're going to see an explosion. We're seeing the beginning of that, but you're really going to see an explosion of uh, people on all formats. And I think part of that, I, I do credit, you know, Aziz and Mindy and uh, Hassan and all that from at least pointing, you know, you could point to something and be like, oh, that's possible. And before them, it was, you know, there wasn't a lot to point at. Uh, that's not possible. And I actually also credit like brown people, you know, I don't, the people that get enough shine are the brown people that had to play those terrorist roles and stuff in the 2000s, right? And the 90s. You're and saying the 80s. shout out like, to terrorists. 
Shouts out to all the people that played terrorists, that played taxi drivers, that played the stereotypes. Because the thing is, like, you know, forget the ones that don't care about our community that feed into crabs in a barrel. We don't. We they will not be remembered, and we don't want to work with them. But it's the it's the ones that had no choice, right? Yeah. And they didn't have any example to point to, and no one was asking them for their story. And I feel like those are the folks that like actually are as a part of the process as the Hassans and Mindys and stuff because uh, we had something to react to. And I feel bad, you know? I feel like if they struck 10 years, 20 years later, they wouldn't have to do those roles. So we I feel like- We had to have like the digestible browns to like kind yes. of work that middle space that we had exactly. to get upset at for being digestible to white people, but not as true to us as we wanted them to be for us to get the true brown people that we want. Exactly. Like I, I remember I was, um, I watched Outsourced was the first show I saw uh, on like mainstream that had more than one brown person in it. Right. And you watch that show. Oh yeah, of course it's filled with stereotypes and it's, uh, you know, not an accurate depiction of who we are as people, but that's, that's because the creators were not, you know, uh, brown like that. Um, but you look at that and I, I was reactive to that. I was like, we can do better than this. And then I was part of it, I tried to do something. So I think it is important to have that. So I, I'm just really encouraged. I'm really excited. I think there's so much more that's going to happen. And, you know, 2021, 2022, you're going to see so many new creatives that are emerging. Yeah, it's just not all mainstream yet. And yeah. all of those guys that we named, they're just, they just happen to be in the mainstream. But yeah, you're right. There's so much out there. Um, how can people support Euchre and uh, where can they find you and follow you and keep up with everything that you're doing? Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at K-S-U-N-Z-Z. Uh, I'm not really on, I mean, I'm, tw- I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active on Twitter, but uh, just my first name, Carnson on there. Um, but I think... Instagram is where I really do spend a lot of, I'm not that social media like savvy or, you know, I, I end up being like doing a lot of my creation on this uh, outside and I try to disconnect, but that's where you can find me. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Code Switched was, I, I put myself out of it a lot. I think on the forefront, like a lot of people actually don't, like a, a lot more people have seen the show than even know I exist. And uh, I, I tried to take the backseat on it, but I think Code Switch was kind of like, a wave, you know, to, to support me, but to support the many, many folks that helped make it happen. So I think if you, if you, you know, find me on social media, but I, for those, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this have either seen the show or heard of the show in some way. I'm like, but check that out because there's so many uh, awesome people that were involved in that, that you can, you yeah. know, Wait, connect we'll link everything on the, uh, in the description below. Quick, quick question. question. Um, is there going to be a season two? No, don't uh, tell him. Don't no, tell him. Don't no, tell him. No. <laughs> <laughs> we Shamir, you'll have to we, listen back to the podcast to hear if there's going to be yeah. season Dang two. it. It sounds bad. Shamir, I hate to bad. say this. It sounds bad. But I hate to say this, but we thought of all of season two while you were gone. Like, we oh, sat and we just... <laughs> while you were gone, doing what you had to do, yeah. we just we just plotted out we the We went over season, season three. Like, yeah, we were considering season much. three. I also have a question. And while I love listening to you talk and like I was really absorbing your story, we are on a Zoom call and I did have to look behind you quite a few times. And I this whole episode, I've been trying to figure out if it's Beyonce or Solange, Solange, but it's Solange. And why do you have a picture of Solange behind you? Okay, so so it is Solange. It is a plexiglass of, uh-huh. of a song down with the click. 
Uh-huh. Uh, Why? Of her album On My Way Home because I'm a massive Solange fan. Huge oh. Solange fan. Okay. And, um, and, you know, my friend Usman, who makes these plexiglasses, he, I reached out to him and I sent him, like, like what are the songs? Because he creates these, like, Spotify uh, album covers. Uh, I put that in the background because Solange's. I, I'm just such a huge fan. And I think creatively, <laughs> I actually listen to uh, a lot of her music before I write. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's, you just got some massive Amber points. Yeah, right I mean, you, that, I'm a, a I'm a part of the Beehive. <laughs> I see. I see. Does that mean that you're not a salon? I don't get it. A Beehive is Beyonce fan. I know, which but, which means that I mean that's his, that's her sister. So of course I'm, you know. But is well, there a side that like you usually like, no. people take like Beehive versus whatever? Solange no, I don't think they do. I think that if you're a Beyonce fan, you respect Solange. Exactly. I, I think so, too. I have a, you know, I think, A, like, we got to stop pitting, uh, you, you know, great yeah, creatives. Ross. Right. I Brown, was just asking, because you're like, I'm a Beyonce fan. So I was no, like, is that I'm, like a, I'm, the no, opposite I'm of, side? I'm a part of the Beehive. But you know okay. what's interesting? I will, I have to shout out Solange, because she's definitely going to listen to this, is, is uh, <laughs> I have to shout out Solange, because... She's actually next on like, the podcast. It's interesting. She's next. Oh, really? Yeah. She's, <laughs> you know, I want to know what her thoughts are on Mindy. Um, but the, the 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 thing about Solange, I have to like credit a lot to outside of her talent is like her sister is the biggest artist in the world and one of the probably top five yeah. most recognizable faces in the world. For sure. And she doesn't need her to feature on any of her songs. I think that's so crazy like that is amazing giving her shout outs though (laughs) yeah like she do but like imagine (laughs) being so talented where Mm your 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 sibling is the biggest artist in the world and you don't need them i think that's maybe i just need to give her more love and like really listen and you've inspired me to do that today please just listen to this album it's amazing i I think i listen to it a lot before i write because it's very cinematic actually like Mm -hmm. her music is very cinematic and so it, it puts me in that space um, but yeah, and also they're so different. I love that they're not the same artist. Like they're I think not, if she was Beyonce 2.0, I think we'd run into that. But yeah, shouts out Solange. Yeah, I think I think you'd really love Jake Paul. He kind of is on a similar wave of not using his. <laughs> just <laughs> Jake Paul never needed Logan to do his. Thing. <laughs> they didn't. You know, we, aren't we lucky to have the Knowles and aren't we lucky to have the Pauls? What would we, we do? Are. We get to, we get to learn so much. Yeah, I love that for Truly. us. Also, um, like, shouts out beating the shit out of uh, a dude to protect the... <laughs> oh, facts. Know. Honestly, that whole elevator situation, mad respect that she was... Mad like, Solange, yeah. Solange yeah, was like, she she put fuck, like in you gonna place. mess with the family? My oh, sister. I thought he was talking about Jake beating up Nate. I don't know no, how. No, 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 no. See, you're... Uh, see, <laughs> I'm, I, Karen, I like you. <laughs> this is... Shouts out. She, she, she was like, you know what? I'm gonna stand up for my sister. Beat the shit yeah, out of Jay-Z. You cheated he had on my no sister? chance, by the way. Mm-mm. The like, if you look at that elevator footage, <laughs> the only reason she did not send him to the hospital is because you know uh, these are brands and and these are like things we'll find out. But like, if this was just like and a scrap of one of the like most famous hotels where all celebrities yeah. stay at, like the door was gonna open any second. Absolutely. If this was just in the neighborhood, if this was out at a place, like she would have destroyed him. Absolutely. Shamir, I might dip agree. like you the last time. 
and just let, and just let them talk Gern, about can you just be a co-host yeah, why here? did this conversation happen when i was gone why? you should just be a co-host so that i have somebody to talk to y'all talk about things. season two three and then when you come here anytime like, oh, i talk Solange, about Beyonce. any type of female artist or anything like this they go into a silence and then i'm stuck talking to myself so i'm glad you were here to like engage in a discussion with me i'm not glad i'm here <laughs> this, I, you know what? I think, I think, uh, yeah, Solange is, uh, she's, shouts out Solange. She's, she's an all star. We good. No, um, you guys should actually get her on this podcast. Try it. All right. See, the email is already sent. We'll, we'll arrange it. We'll arrange Reach it. Reach out to our team. I mean, how many, how many South Asian led podcasts are hitting her up? Think about this. That's true. You're right. We're, Niyati, how do you get on it right now? Yeah. We're waiting. That's- no, well, um, I hope that'd be awesome. Like we're not gonna say no to that. <laughs> yeah, like but, we're gonna um, be silent the whole time. It's just Amber and her talking. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll invite Karen back on. <laughs> yeah, like, I, and I will be silent so and I will listen. <laughs> I uh, I just want to sit and listen. Yeah, that's too um, funny. Can I ask you guys a question? Is that crazy? Does that break the? It does no, no, break no. The fourth wall, but it no. depends on the question. <laughs> just kidding. Go ahead. Um, I. I need. I've. I've. I've talked a lot. This is a sensitive subject, and it's. Uh, it's something I've talked oh, to a lot of my friends so about. Shallow. You need us for season two. Just say it. Yeah, We're down. just say that. <laughs> if you want this, I, you have us. It is. It, yes. I, this is a. This was actually the audition. This was the tape. Mm. You know, and you heard me. I built the character. Shamir didn't make people. it. Yeah, I left in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, just, can you imagine if we made season two and we cast everybody here except him? <laughs> I'd be so sad. That'd be so funny. And then he has to do the podcast and have all of us on, and he has to ask us, "What's for? What's yeah. season three, guys? <laughs> Talk to us. What's what's? Are we getting a season three? Look, he's um, just writing bars on the spot. This is what he does. He's gonna people. pain me. Yeah, the, what was the question? Uh, my question. I, I I wanted to ask you this question. I, I put it in uh, our, our previous like in the email, but. I sensitive because it, it was such a part of, of my uh, upbringing, but like Taco Bell <laughs> ended the Mexican pizza as a menu item. I need to ask you guys, is, is anybody here interested in the subject and has anybody have thoughts on this? Just have to ask. Whoa. I don't even, I didn't even know had they the had Mexican a Mexican pizza. They've had Mexican pizza at Taco Bell? Okay, so the answer is no, and I understand that. Nobody here cares about this. I I've heard I'm of this, though. One. I've heard of this, and I know that there's people passionate about it. There was a great Mexican pizza at my school. Um, I don't know if it was, like, the Taco Bell one, but uh, if if your pitch was to help out in some way, bring the pizza back, or just give you some sort of uh, moral support for that, I, I support you. I was sad the potatoes were gone. Yeah, see, look, they're just, I don't understand who's, because the thing it's is, Taco back. Bell. It's coming back, they listened. Really? Yeah, I saw a tweet. See, this I, is the power of, 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 of having, you know, coming together to create a voice. We can yeah. get, these are the kind of things we can get done. I think know, you're onto a point here, though. Taco Bell is very innovative. <laughs> it's super innovative. And also, it's such a part of brown culture, right? Like, sat, like I, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe <laughs> it's in Chicago. On? It is, like, do you know? Is this not a thing? Am I the only one? <laughs> I've never heard it be like a thing for brown people. I've no, heard yeah, like, you know why? No, no, it's no, no, because the bean, the bean, the help me, out, bean burrito. <laughs> yeah, it's the Mexican pizza, the bean, the bean burrito. It's the only it's fast food place growing up that you veg. could sub meat out, mm-hmm. and I think that's oh. why, like, uh, I think a lot of Hindus, a lot of Muslims, like, mm-hmm. you could eat fast food and not yeah, and Indians actually like are eat. Big about Taco Bell. Right. And Indians are big about it, but I, it's like 
I it was interesting because growing up in like the burbs, you know, uh, and the idea of like going out wild on a Saturday is just like yeah, we're just gonna smoke and drink and go to Taco Bell. Like that was the extent <laughs> of the adventures. But I thought um, you were just gonna say Taco Bell, but then you had smoking and drinking. And drink, yeah, <laughs> so it was what a is, wild night. It 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 was a wild night. But anyway, I, I wanted to know your thoughts on this. I guess it's not a. It was because when it happened, I had a lot of my friends like talk about it. But maybe that's just because I that's only hang out with Taco Bell fiends. Of Code Switch. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's just like a subtle thing. A subtle little Easter egg in, in one of the Nacho fries. That's what you really need to discuss. Why do they keep taking that away? Why do they, why do you t- this is Supply me talking directly to the to the decision makers at Taco Bell. Find me. <laughs> Let's bring them at on the, the Instagram handles that you created. After Solange, you, it goes Solange and then Taco Bell uh, people that decide the menu. Mm-hmm. I, this is a direct years. message. I will work with you for season two of Code Switched because I want I want the you know how like Friends uh, or this Seinfeld. This is the second podcast in a row we've had the people like marketing. <laughs> the yeah, themselves. this is you gotta, Go you gotta shamelessly plug. Uh-huh, of uh, course. Seinfeld's got the cafe. Friends has the apartment. Season two of Code Switched. All the brown friends will meet every episode at Taco Bell. That's cute. You heard that's, it here that's first, perfect. exclusively like on Strange Flavors. Very authentic. No, that's uh, that's too funny. Um, Karen, you've been incredible um, on this podcast. We're really ex- extremely thankful for you sharing um, everything so much more in depth of the the decisions that went into you know making this show, but also you know what makes you who you are. But uh, there is one last question we ask at the end of every podcast. This is Strange Flavors, and since Shamir, you missed out on the big news, I'll let you okay. ask that. When is season two coming? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, if if you could describe yourself as any flavor, what would it be and why? Uh, if I could describe myself as any flavor, I would specifically describe myself as Jenny's ice cream lavender. Have we had this? No, have we of had course. This? What is that? What is Jenny's <laughs> ice cream lavender? Okay, but have, I'm intrigued. We, Keep going. Have you heard We're, of Jenny's ice cream? No. no. Oh, it man. sounds Jenny dairy Craig? free. It sounds dairy free for some. Is reason. it like Jenny Craig? Uh, no, it is an ice cream company called Jenny's, and they make amazing ice cream. It's in LA. It, there's a lot of places in LA. It started actually it started in Ohio. Is it um, dairy? Is it dairy free? They have dairy free options. Okay, that's. It sounds yeah. like it sounds like a dairy free type company. But I choose uh, I choose the lavender I choose lavender ice cream as my flavor because you like your uh, ice cream to taste like flowers. I like it to be. Uh, earthy and uh, based, you know, like a, a natural flavor and wild berry bold. lavender. Wild berry lavender. I forgot the wild berry. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I would, I would, I would say I would describe that as my favorite. Something that you didn't think you wanted at first, but it 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 makes you feel comfortable. That's my. That's the vibe I'm always trying to give. You gotta love this. How do you not <laughs> love was, this guy at the end of this? Podcast? That was so good. It's, oh my god, I'm gonna cry. Because you're like, I don't want to have lavender ice cream. That's a Febreze, yeah. uh, Febreze. You know, smell, <laughs> right? And then you taste it and you're like, wow, my entire childhood is here. Mm. You know, like just wow. the feeling of being home. Wow. You know, that's what it is. That was incredible. I, yeah. I give you, I can't believe you thought of that on the spot. Mm-hmm. But that, that, is, really that is amazing. This is why he's a writer. Stand yeah. up. Wait, hold up. What, are, what, do, what do other people say? Do they say chocolate? Like, is that what they... <laughs> well, we'll mostly discuss. the most popular ones are like Neapolitan or something like that because it's like, oh, I'm many things. Yeah. And I, I call them out. I'm like, no, 
that's a lame answer. You it's also three things. It's, it's specifically <laughs> three things. It's yeah. Well, it's hard to think on the spot too, but like yeah. that answer was was exactly what we wanted, and you did. We've gotten good things job. like spicy mango. They're like oh, I'm spicy, yeah. but I'm sweet, but like you know. Oh, spicy yeah. mango. Yeah, I but implore no. everyone to to have some Jenny's ice cream. Mm. <laughs> we'll try. I I, I want to try this after yeah. this. Intensely fruity, brambly berry ice cream with a pop the of wild berry. That's good lavender. too. The wild berry adds a little uh, spice to the lavender. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit. It is. It is. Like, it's the wild card. Truly, literally. You know, mm. it's like, oh, Karen is somebody I can talk to, but also at the same time, you know, can't be trusted. I think that's that's. My <laughs> You're. <laughs> The twist the right thing. at the end. Now, now we're left curious, but uh, okay. wow. no, the, the the first part was definitely true. Karen, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on here. We're definitely going to be supporting you and looking out for whatever you have coming up next. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to see what it is. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you yeah. so much. And Appreciate thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week. Another flavor. A little less stranger. We'll talk to you next time. Shatter si kar kute fawj si gi lakh, fir vi fawjiyan da shadya ni tak. Parlo si ai maut rahi si gi nach, ina ijad bajaon li dabaya si ga sach. Dunia de mure chute besh ki te dath, tanka de nara ant pai si gi nath kime larda sang nara sava ek lakh. Vekhle a si ga nara apni hi akh, shidi burab te ina kita si attack. So.